Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Just after Daniel is the book Hosea. Today we jump back into our series, a look at, a, at the book where we are summarizing the books of the Bible, book by book, throughout the Scriptures to give us a landscape of how the Bible hangs together and what each of the books are about. And today our key concept is this. Sinful pleasure is empty pleasure and turns to misery. The book of Hosea teaches us that. When we come to the book of Hosea, we are reminded that the prophets of the Old Testament, the books are not arranged in chronological order. We can't get a chronology out of the way they're put together. Daniel is the book just prior to the book of Hosea, but Daniel takes, uh, takes place 285 years after the events in Hosea. See, the prophetic books are loosely arranged in your Bible according to size. The larger prophet, prophetic books are first, we call them the major prophets because of their size, and then the minor prophets, starting with Hosea, take us through to the end of the Old Testament. They're called minor not because they're less important, but because they're shorter books, and, uh, and that's why they're grouped together. Now, in case you're wondering why the, the, the books are put together in the fashion that they are, in the order that they are, it probably has to do much more with how many of them would fit on a scroll more than any other reason. Because, obviously, scrolls and parchment, all of this in ancient days was very hard to come by, very expensive to produce, and so they wanted to maximize their space. Many of the minor prophets could fit together on one scroll, and so they're grouped to do that. But so when we come to Hosea, we come to a prophet who speaks in the days of the divided kingdom. You will remember that uh, the, the Israel was divided just after Solomon died into two nations. The northernmost ten tribes banded together into a, a, a new nation, and they retained the name Israel. Or sometimes in your Bibles, they go, that nation goes by the name of its capital city, Samaria. In Hosea, actually it's referred to by one of the tribes of the north, Ephraim. That's the nation of the north, uh, the ten tribes. And then in the south, the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah, they formed their own nation, and that nation was called Judah. Hosea prophesies to the north nation. But he's the, and he's the, not the only prophet who speaks to the north, but he's the only prophet whose writings we have who, who comes from the north. So he's speaking to his home area. And in Hosea's time, it was a great time to live in that northern nation, Israel, on the surface. The economic leading indicators were up, uh, profits were high, things were good. It was a good time to live and to work and to be a part of the northern kingdom in terms of material things. But if you would look under the surface of those material things, you would see that danger was ahead. Because the northern nation was a nation that was purposefully steered toward pagan religion. Now, in order to recall that, we have to remember how the north was formed. There was a tax dispute uh, uh, with Jeroboam I and Solomon's son. And in that 
tax dispute, uh, Jeroboam I led the ten nations to, to coalesce into, ten tribes to coalesce into one nation and formed a new nation. But he was worried that if people would go south and worship Yahweh, that he would lose his control over them. So he created a pagan religion, worshiping Baal, and constructed idols in the north to keep his people from going south. All of that is described to us in 1 Kings 12, where it says this, The king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. He had one set up in Bethel and the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. I have a picture of, uh, of the Dan high place. This is me in front of that very altar that Jeroboam I had built so that the people would worship the golden calf on top of that platform. Throughout the scriptures, you'll read about the high places. This is the high place of Dan where the, where the Baal statue was posted and the children of Israel were led into idol worship. All of that was on purpose. And now in Hosea's time, Jeroboam II is the king. And he's taking that king's name and he's following in that king's footsteps and that the nation is steeped in idolatry. And in that setting, Hosea is called to a radical ministry. Let's read about it in Hosea 1 verse 1. Let's read together. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of, of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. God calls Hosea not only to preach his word, but God calls Hosea to live a life which becomes an object lesson for how God feels towards his people. His life is an illustration of the fact that God feels that his people are committing adultery with these idols. That they, he sees them as the bride, his bride, his love, and they're turning his back, their backs on him. And so Hosea is called to marry a woman that he knows will be unfaithful. And he goes so far as being called to name his children names that will illustrate the way God feels about the nation. It's all very drastic. It's all very theatrical and all very dramatic. And on top of his call to preach. Now there is a word in Hebrew that I want to teach you. It is a word that uh, illustrates the way God feels towards his people. It is not translatable by a, a single English word. It is the word chesed. Why don't you say that with me? Chesed. Okay? You've got to get it in your throat. If you're not spitting, you're not saying it right. This is, this is Hebrew. Okay, try it again. Chesed. Chesed. All right. When you spit, when you say that. Chesed is is roughly translated undying devotion or loving faithfulness. 
Chesed is the kind of love that a, a, a marriage has over the long haul of life, in the ups and downs of existence, but still we, we hang in there and we cling to one another. We are devoted to one another in an undying way. Chesed. God is saying through the prophet Hosea and the actions and of his life and the words that he preaches, he's saying, I have chesed for you, Israel, but you have turned your back on me. You are unfaithful in this relationship of love. Hosea's mission is to communicate to the nation the heartbreak that God feels at being betrayed and being thrown over. I love you still, but you don't love me back. And that's the illustration that Hosea has when he marries this morally loose woman. Now, when she comes into the marriage, we don't know exactly her, her status. Some people call her a prostitute. The language doesn't demand it at this point. But it could very well be that she is a participant in this religion that Jeroboam I has created in the north. It was a fertility religion. They worshipped the god Baal, and, and in the process of that worship, there were temple prostitutes, both male and female. And the, and the, the activities in, in the worship included sexual intercourse with these prostitutes with the belief that Baal would honor the land with fertility and the people with fertility. It was all caught up in that kind of a balance. And if she participated, uh, she may not have been a virgin coming into this marriage. But even if she was a virgin, God saw her heart. And God knew that this was a woman who was drawn toward lust and that she would be unfaithful. And he said as much to Hosea, but marry her anyway. And you will have three kids in this marriage and one of those children will not be your own. It will be the product of her unfaithfulness. It is a shocking set of circumstances that God calls Hosea to say yes to. I can imagine that Hosea kind of felt like Abraham must have felt when God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac. It's so confusing. I mean, it's, it's against what we think you stand for, God. It's against everything that you've told us about. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit together. Abraham felt that way. Hosea must have felt that way as well. That in Abraham's situation, God intervened. He saw his faith and he took him in a new direction. But for Hosea... He must carry out this plan and marry this woman, the adulterous woman whose name is Gomer. Marry the adulterous woman. Hosea shaking his head saying, I don't get it, I don't like it, but I'll do it. And so they have children. The first child is mentioned in verse 4. His name is Jezreel. He's a son. Jezreel means God scatters because God will scatter his people in judgment. And then there's a daughter born. In verse 6, she's, she's spoken of. And the daughter is called Lo-Ruhama. Lo-Ruhama means not loved. Can you imagine naming your daughter not loved? But as verses 6 and 7 in chapter 1 explain, it's not that God doesn't feel love towards his people, but he will not be showing love towards the northern nation. He says specifically, I will for the south, but not the north. And the reason for that is in the south, some of the kings listened to the prophets. 
Some of the kings were, were pierced in their heart and they turned to God in repentance and led their people back to pure worship of Yahweh. But not so in the north. Not one single king in the entire existence of that nation ever worshipped Yahweh. All of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Hosea has the job to stand before his people, his home people, and say, No mercy will come to you. Not loved is illustrated by my daughter. Lo Ruhamah. In verse 8 of chapter 1, the third child is born. This child is not Hosea's blood child. This is a product of, of his wife's unfaithfulness to him. And the name of that child is Lo-Ami, meaning not my people. God is illustrating through that name just like this son is, is uh, illegitimate. So now I look at my people and I see them as illegitimate. They're, they're not mine and certainly not acting like mine. All of this is anticipated in chapter 1 as God gives, you know, Hosea the plan. And when you get to chapter 2, you see an interlude where God says, even though I'm making all of these statements about judgment, I want you to know my heart. And that is, all of this can be rolled back. If you go to chapter 2, verse 21, you see how God explains that he can undo all of this stuff that's coming. He says, In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, and the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those who, called, who, who are called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. In other words, Hosea is saying each of these meanings of these names can be reversed. Not my people can become my people. Not loved can become loved. God scatters. Jezreel can be used for God plants. God sows the seed of love and faithfulness. All of that can be reversed if only you understand the way of rescue. And the way of rescue always begins with repentance. Turn back to God. All of that is set up for us in chapters 1 and 2. In chapters three, chapter 3, we see that actually in the flow of life, Gomer has lived out the prediction. She has become an unfaithful wife and entered into an adulterous relationship. It seems that she may be participating as a prostitute, possibly in the temple, but whatever lifestyle has come over her, she is hugely in debt to the people around her and to a, some in individual who owns her, it seems. And Hosea is called upon to go to that situation and pay the price of her redemption. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Hosea pays the price to get her back. Redemption. Men of Integrity magazine some time ago had an article that described a family situation where the wife in this family, the mother, had a gambling addiction. And every once in a while, what would happen is the craving would come over her and she would sell the possessions in the home. She would empty out the bank account. She'd go to the casino and gamble away the family's money. 
And then she would come back remorseful and, and sad and, and sorry for what she's done, sometimes almost suicidal. And this pattern continued year after year. And the man's family came to him and said, you have to divorce this woman. She's destroying your future and your hopes. But the husband was a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And he said, my kids need to know that God loves them. How can they know of a father in heaven who forgives if their own father will not forgive their mother? And that's exactly the role that Hosea is playing here, showing the heart of God, demonstrating that God is willing to forgive. And it's important for us because Hosea and Gomer's story is really all of our stories. All of us have strayed. All of us have looked for satisfaction in some illicit thing in the world. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Gomer's issue was a sexual addiction and lust that pushed her further and further into the gutter. And Satan is still using that weapon against many today. But we run after these empty pleasures, whatever they are. And eventually God comes along to us and he taps on the shoulder and he says, Are you sick of it yet? Is it bitter to you yet? Do you see the lie in this sinful pleasure yet? Are you willing to let, you, let yourself continue to go down and get more bitter and more sick, stuck in this cycle? Or will you remember that I have paid the price of your freedom? And that when you turn to me, I will bring you home, just like Gomer. Hosea brings her home. Well, that's the first section of the book through chapter, uh, chapter 3 that deals with the, 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 idol the uh, immorality of the nation and their adultery. The second section of the book from 4 to 10 deals with Israel's idolatry. And he begins the section in chapter 4 with a list of the, the, the sins that the people are committing and the things that they aren't doing that they ought to be doing. But he lays the responsibility for the people's behavior squarely before the priests. In verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, The more the priests increased, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. It will be, and it will be, like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Just a few verses up in verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The priests are not teaching the principles of God, not communicating the truths of God, not allowing to people to see the will of God. Rather, the priests are just saying all is well, just telling people what they want to hear, caught up in pagan religion. And so the people are being destroyed. The message is this, what you don't know can hurt you when it's the truth of the things of God. He goes on to, tell, to, to let us see that it's not just the priests who are at fault, it is the leaders on every level. Every institution has fa failed the people. There's no true religion. There's no righteous government. They are all steeped in, in corruption, and even the business practices exploit the poor. But the people's hearts are hard, so they don't listen to the words of the prophet. And that description of the, of the nation is given to us in chapter 7. We're still in the second section, chapter 7, verse 8. Here is where Hosea names the nation like Ephraim. 
He says, Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim, verse 8, is a flat cake not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength. He does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against him, but despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. See, the imagery is this. The nation, which he labels Ephraim, is like an old man who doesn't recognize that his strength is gone who still thinks of himself like he does, did when he was young, thinks he can do anything, thinks he can achieve all these things. He doesn't realize that this very attitude is mocking him because he's unable and old and weak and feeble. Those of you who are getting along to a certain age, thank the Lord for your mirror because it gives you a reminder. Those things that I think I can do, I can't do some of those things anymore. I have to be realistic about my, my situation. And that's what Ephraim is not being, realistic. But a distant promise is heard. Hope for the future. If you turn to the third section of the book, which begins at chapter 11, chapter 11 through 14 is about possible restoration. The tone changes in chapter 11 to 14. It's no longer one of condemnation, one of judgment. The imagery changes. Listen to how the nation is described in chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. The tone is now a tone of love. The imagery is the imagery of childhood, not picturing the nation as an old man, feeble and decrepit, but now a young child that God is willing to teach and to guide and to nurture. He said, I've done all of that. Interestingly enough, verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son, has a double fulfillment. You recognize it from the, the writings of Matthew. When Matthew relates that very verse to Jesus escaping Herod's clutches and going to Egypt for a time and then returning back to Israel, out of Egypt I have called my son. He's referring to this verse, quoting it. But when Hosea uses it, he uses it for the exodus, for that first rescue when God's people escaped the clutches of Egypt. And it was God who led them, God who protected them. It was God who released them and God who tended to them all along the way. And, but they have rejected His love. But even in their rejection, rescue is possible. But the rescue always comes through repentance. And that's what God is calling His people to. And that is what God is calling us to. Rescue can be found even after backsliding against the love of God. Rescue can be found even after rejecting His love and His care. There is hope. And that hope is portrayed in chapter 14, the last chapter of the book. God spells out what has to happen in order for rescue to come. In chapter 14, verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may, we may offer the fruit of our lips. I love that phrase. T 
take words with you. In other words, prepare what you're going to say. And what you say must be that which is humble before the Lord, repentant of your sin. G. Campbell Morgan used to say, sin is always infidelity to love. And that's the message of Hosea. The heart of God is a heart of chesed. It's a heart of love. He's been with his people all along. And he would welcome them back if only they would turn in repentance to him. And that's always the way that we turn to God. That's where we find his heart of love. That's where we find mercy and hope and grace as we turn to him in repentance. It is always the order that Jesus spoke. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth when he walked the earth were these. In his ministry years, he stood and he said, Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. First it takes a humbling before him and then a simple trust of what he has done. God's heart has always been the same. He's always ready to welcome us back. Hosea is a story of the compassion of God towards his people. If only we would know it. And so there are some implications as we leave this book. Implication number one. God's love cannot let his people off. If he didn't care about our sin, if he just let us wallow in our sin, we would be ruined by it. And he knows it. And that is why there are times that God intervenes in judgment and discipline to call us back. Secondly, God's love cannot let his people go. We are his beloved. He sends prophets. He sends, he sends priests. He sends his word. He sends his Holy Spirit to call us back to himself. And thirdly, God's love can never let his people down. He is able to do what he says he will do. Listen to the very last word of the book of Hosea. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. See, it is a reminder again that in the dark, sinful pleasures look good. But when the light of God's love is turned on, we see those things to be empty and false and will lead us to ruin. But God's love is always there, ready to receive those who choose to love Him back. And that's your calling and ours, to love Him back with all of our hearts.